Do you know the current state of the edge? If you do, it's most likely because of the work that Matthew Trefiro has done in recent years. Matthew is the CMO of Vapor.io and co-chair at State of the Edge. And on this episode of IT Visionaries, he tells us about how and why he wanted to create the State of the Edge report. Plus, he explains what is going on in the world of edge computing and what might come next. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at mission.org. And we are at Edge Computing World in a fun place in Mountain View, and I'm with my good buddy Matt. What's going on? Hey, Ian. I'm uh, I'm super happy to be here too. The Computer History Museum. I know. So uh, for those of you who have never been to the Computer History Museum in Mountain View, it is a really cool place um, and in a great event space. So we're going to be talking Edge today, and who better than the man who is the puppeteer behind uh, some amazing work in the edge. So tell us a little about, for our, for our listeners who don't know, what your role is at, at Vapor.io. So I'm the chief marketing officer of Vapor.io. And so when you started thinking about, you know, edge and how Vapor looks at the kind of landscape, it kind of seemed like there was this very clear very obvious thing that that we all needed. And it was some sort of uh, yearly report. And we talked to Cole, obviously, about Vapor and all the amazing things that you're doing. But why did you want to create State of the Edge? Yeah, that's a great question. So the idea was hatched over beers. Uh, my co-conspirator is the chief marketing officer of Packet, and they're a bare metal cloud provider. And we're both startup companies. Um, and our question was, you know, how do we how do we break through the noise of a very frothy environment? This was 2018. And uh, you know the joke back then is you ask 100 people to define edge and you get 112 answers. Uh, and that was really true. I mean, uh, and there's some truth to that. You know, edge is kind of in the eye of the beholder. Each person's edge is different. But what was really important is that if you think of edge computing as an extension of the internet, the edge we really care about is the edge of the last mile network. Yeah. And nobody was really talking about that. And um, if we were to publish white papers and things that that companies do, uh, it, it wouldn't break through the noise or have any credibility. So our thought was, well, could we find other companies that would align with us and help fund a vendor neutral organization that publishes research for free on edge computing. And we thought we could. Um, Jacob happens to be very good at raising money. <laughs> so uh, he found us a bunch of sponsors, you know, companies like um, Ericsson's Edge Gravity, um, Arm, the semiconductor manufacturer. So we had a number of companies that were willing to put in money to fund it. And then we put in the elbow grease as the startup companies. And we hired an analyst to write the sort of core of the report. And then my marketing team and his marketing team basically did the rest. And then we published it under the, the, the brand State of the Edge. 
And it really is arm's length. Um, if there's any bias in it, it's unintentional. The goal is really to capture the actual state of the edge and provide super useful, credible information to people trying to make decisions around it. And so what's the size of the report for this year, for 2019? Oh, I, I, I have to scroll through it and tell you. Uh, so the, f- the first one was really large. This one is, um, it taps out at 70 pages. Um, now there's probably 10 Novella. pages. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's, this year's report is, uh, we decided to do a financial model. You know, if you set up a Google alert like I do, which is, you know, market size for edge. Yeah. Um, once a week, I get at least once a week, if not every couple of days, I get an, you know, an alert that, that some new report has been published. And I mean, are they credible? You know, they're expensive, $3,000. Who can afford it? What if you need, what if you multiple reports disagree? And so this idea that we could actually collectively from a number of member companies fund uh, an analyst to build a financial model for edge, that would be very compelling. And the market would really enjoy having that. And so obviously a lot of work goes into this, you know, is it like a year, year long progress where like, you know, as soon as, uh, as soon as you publish, you're already working on next year. Like I'd imagine that, you know, obviously with so many stakeholders and so many people involved that there's a ton of stuff, ton of research that goes into this. Um, you know, what kind of goes into it? Yeah. So, so we published the first report in June of 2018 and our goal was to do it every June. Um, this year's came out in December. So it was an 18 month, uh, an 18 month hike. And part of that was because, you know, when you're publishing something like, like a financial model, we really wanted to vet it. I mean, so, so we took a lot of time to have peers in the industry review and evaluate what we were putting out before we published it. And I think the quality report is super high because of that, but it also took a lot of time. And then the reality is, you know, both my business and Jacob's business has grown in the last year. You know, I had zero employees in 2000, June of 2018. Now I have two employees. So we had to fit it in between the cracks of our day jobs. So it took us a lot longer to, to do than we expected, but I, I'm, this report, I think, is is two times as good as the first report. I'm really proud of it. Yeah. So, and if you're a technology leader out there, you know, CIO, CTO, that's curious about, you know, what is the state of the edge? Like, why why should they why should they tune in? Why should they go read it? Yeah. So, well, this year's report, we so last year, uh, I mean, 2018. So, this the clever marketing thing is we published in December, so we called it the 2020 report. And smart people noticed there was no 2019 report. <laughs> uh, so, this one will have a, a you know a year's life to it. Um, I, I think that that one of the things that I get asked all the time is how real is edge? Are we ahead of the market? Are we, are we there and we're just not seeing it? What's being deployed? How much is being deployed? And so we tried to take a really realistic look at that so people could make concrete decisions about how they, they invest their business. So we, um, we hired a researcher, um, Talaga Research, uh, they built a model. They looked at from the bottoms up, a really comprehensive model. So they looked at 11 uh, sectors, everything from healthcare, utilities, smart cities, gaming, mobile consumer, and uh, identified the types of applications that that uh, seem to be in demand and what level of edge compute would be required to support them. And then built a model that projects um, in megawatts, which is how data center capacity. So, so what we measured was 
Um, for all these applications that we imagine coming between now and 2028, how many megawatts of server compute and the data centers that enclose them is required to drive those applications? Yeah. Because nobody really studied that. Um, there's a bunch of reports that say edge computing is going to be worth a zillion dollars. And it's not just the equipment and the facilities, but it's also the economic impact. And, you know, I don't even know. I can't make any sense out of that. I can't sure. make a decision around that. But if I sell server chips... I want to know how many are likely to be bought. And if I build data centers, I want to know how many are likely to be built. If I'm um, going to build an application that depends on those facilities, I want to know when they're going to be available in the top 100 cities. So we really tried to answer all of those questions with a model. And do you think that like with those kind of simulations and that sort of stuff, obviously, you know, as we say on the show, you don't have a crystal ball um, and you wanted to take a realistic look at this of like, you know, what are we going to be doing in 2028? Do you feel, you know, bullish, bearish? Are you are you excited? Are you worried? Like what was kind of your your end state, you know, after kind of seeing the results? Yeah. So, I mean, I have an unfair advantage because my company is actually deploying a lot of this infrastructure. So I know what we're deploying. And so I can use that as a proxy for evaluating the the, the substance of the model, and it, they do align. Um, what I'm most excited about is that there seems to be a transformation, and I, the report didn't bring this about, but it, I think the timing is, is perfect. The transformation in the edge industry from, I think, a bunch of frothy slapping edge on some old product to make it seem cool to real practitioners deploying real dollars, putting capital to work to build the platforms on which this next generation of compute is going to be built. I mean, I'm fond of saying the internet is broken. I get a lot of <laughs> hassle on Twitter about it. Um, it's obviously a rhetorical device, but there are lots of applications we want to consume or bring about that simply cannot be done with the internet today. And we have to re-architect it, just like we re-architected the internet in the early 2000s with content delivery networks. And it was a pretty substantial re-architecting the network. Akamai, uh, the first company to do it, put servers out on the edge that cached data. And that's the only reason we had streaming video. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that, you know, I find the most fascinating about this is like, it's kind of like the Moore's Law, you know, in a, in a different way. It's like, we have all of this innovation happening. We have all these people building these applications that all require all types of geolocation and massive amounts of data being moved and massive file sizes and all this stuff, all this data being created. And it kind of seems like there's not really enough people working on how are we going to make this fast yeah. in accordance to how fast we think you know things should be. And I would say, generally speaking, as someone who lives in the Bay Area, was horrible cell phone service right. and very slow Wi-Fi. And I drives me crazy every day. Not that it's a one-to-one -one comparison, but just like, this is kind of going to be something pretty annoying now that we have all of these tools at our fingertips that we expect to have videos play seamlessly. We expect to have images load immediately. So it seems like they're just, I was curious how many people are really working on this if we can meet those like 2028 goals. Yeah. So in 2018, I think the answer was it was more ambition than reality. I mean, some of the so core technologies were being developed, um, but they weren't being deployed. What I've seen happen in a relatively short amount of time, mm -hmm. 18 months, is um, a lot of companies are deploying. And the conversations that I'm having today with the major cloud providers are very different than the conversations I would have having 18 months ago. Um, the fact that streaming gaming is a reality yeah. and it's getting major 
capital investments from companies from Google to Sony to Microsoft. I mean, a lot of these are going to drive a lot of these applications. What's, what's interesting about your comment, in fact, maybe I should step back a little. Um, one of the things that I'm most proud of in this report is this, this metaphor that we identified as a way to help explain what's happening to the every, every person. And we talk about the three acts of the internet. Um, so imagine the evolution of the internet in a three-act play. And so act one was like the mid-90s. And, you know, 1995, six, seven, I mean, that's when the Motorola flip phone came out. So it was our first, like, real phone that most people could understand and carry with them. The um, browser, I mean, that was a new thing in the mid-90s. And the internet for most people was absolutely magic. I could be anywhere on the planet and I could connect to a server anywhere else on the planet and that server could deliver something to me, whether it's a page of information, whether it's a product I could buy, any of these things. That could never be done before. You know, there was client server computing back in the mainframe days, but I had a direct cable to the IBM mainframe to my ASCII terminal. Here, I can connect to whoever I want. And, the, and, and that's the, that was the first act of the internet. Um, so if I'm in, you know, I don't know, Western Europe and the, the server that I want to reach is in Seattle, I can get that HTTP request all the way over there and come back, but it's going to go through you know a couple dozen hops. Um, we have to deal with the speed of light, which at large distances actually makes a difference. There's the, the size of the pipes and all of this. And what ends up happening is the minute I try to start consuming rich data, rich media, so large images or, or streaming video, it breaks. And uh, we solved that with the CVN, CDN, which was the second act of the internet. And what the second act of the internet recognized is like, well, rather than asking everybody on the planet to go back to Seattle to get the content they're looking for, why don't we stage that content near them? So it's farther down on the network. It's closer to them. It can serve faster, but also there's fewer people it has to serve because it's, it's way down on the branch of the internet. So when everybody goes to watch some Netflix video, you're getting that video from the server that's near you, not the server that's in Seattle that mm -hmm. originally pre-cached those. And that was a pretty substantial change of the internet. It's got us to the point we are. What's different about this third act of the internet, the, the stage we're going through now, is it's more about machines talking to machines than humans talking to machines. Yeah. And so humans operates in one, operate in ones of seconds. And, uh, you know, sure, like you were saying, if I have to wait four seconds to get my Facebook page to reload on my on my phone, it's frustrating. But how much more are you really going to pay for that? Yeah. Right? I don't know. I don't, I'm not willing to pay a lot more. I just deal with it. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I was just going to say, I don't even think we'd know how we could pay for that. Yeah, right, right. Um, but, you know, presumably, like, you know, the, the major telco networks are rolling out their 5G in certain geographic regions. So presumably you could pay an upcharge to that and get your Facebook a little bit faster. Although not necessarily because the bottleneck may not be in yeah. that last mile. The bottleneck may be and has to go all the way back to some Facebook service. Well, and that's like, that's the thing that I, that's the thing that I kind of see. I'm like, are we sure that that's, that that promise is going to be delivered? I mean, how many times do you have business Wi-Fi or whatever? And you're like, this is slower than my house, you know? So, I mean, I, anyhow. Yeah, the conference Wi-Fi, right? Yeah. So, it's like, <laughs> is this, is the promise even being delivered? Oh, I think, I think it's going to be delivered. So, so 5G from a wireless perspective is, is a complete game change. Um, at many, many levels, but just as a, from a, from a connectivity level. So the, it's the first cellular 
protocol that was built for data first rather than voice. I mean, data was bolted onto 3G as kind of an afterthought. Um, it was only with 4G LTE that it became sort of a, you know, a, a peer of voice. And 5G, I mean, I don't even use the voice app on my phone anymore. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> right? They send me a text message or, or a WhatsApp ping. Don't, don't actually call me because I'm not going to answer. I'm going to send it to voicemail. Um, but I think the, the, the real transformation is we are going to have billions and billions and billions of devices that aren't being looked at by a human that are going to be trans, transmitting data that needs to be analyzed or is best analyzed and acted upon in near real time. Um, and so we're moving from a world where the internet needs to function in ones of seconds to a world that it needs to function in tens of milliseconds, ones of milliseconds, and in some cases, microseconds. And that's just a very different world. And it's not ones of billions of devices, it's tens of billions and maybe trillions of devices. It's a huge transformation. And with State of the Edge and, and things like this, like what is next for, um, for you all? Obviously, you know, we're going to get the word out. We're going to get this in front of a lot of people. But, you know, as, uh, as 2020 comes, like what are you excited about uh, other than, uh, you know, spreading the good word here? Yeah, well, I mean, from, a, from an organizational standpoint? Yeah, and from State of the Edge and just like, you know, the, the proliferation of, of the importance of Edge. Yeah, so so we hope to grow the organization. I mean, we went from from six founding members in 2018 to almost 20 members, um, and I think we could have had three times the members if it wasn't just me chasing down memberships and sending invoices and so <laughs> on. Um, we've made it um, very low cost. So you know, you think about like organizations like sometimes organizations have a sponsorship model where you know I can buy the sixty thousand dollar platinum sponsor, but I'm also going to expect to have influence over this. And yeah, so totally. we don't want that. We want yep. it to be absolutely flat. We, the editorial purity of vendor neutral is very important to us, very important to the brand. And so we said, look, there's really three tiers. There's, if you're more than 30 employees, it's $7,500 a year. I mean, a senior management put that on a credit card. Yeah. If you're less than 30 employees, it's 2,500 a year, unless you're a super small seed startup, in which case, you know, what can you pay? like $1,000. And then we have in-kind memberships like we do with mission.org, which yep. is, it, it's, it's a free exchange and just for being able to help get the word out. And so I think we could very easily grow the membership, which we want to do. We also want to produce a lot of content. I mean, our, our ambitions last year were bigger than our ability to deliver. So we have a blog, we have a Twitter feed. Um, we actually did produce an interim report. Um, we produced a report that Seagate helped us with in January called Data at the Edge, which I'm also very, really proud of. And it was like a 30-page report. wasn't trying to boil the ocean like the yearly reports. And our goal was to do one a quarter. We did one that this year. Um, so we need to sort of paralyze some of these operations, get a little more infrastructure in place. I think we can do that now that we have a prospect of raising a larger operating budget. We did something interesting this year that I think will help generate a lot of content. So we have a section in this year's book called Postcards from the Edge. And these began as 500 to 1,000 word essays that we asked members and non-members to submit. Like, tell us what you think. What's, what are you seeing? What's interesting to you? What's important? Again, it has to be vendor neutral. You can't, can't push your product, but you can push your expertise. And we boiled all those down into one or two paragraphs that we published literally as postcards, right? They look, they look like images of postcards and the thing. But each of those will become a blog post on the blog. So I have a pipeline of 20 blog posts that I'm going to release over the next you know, however many months. That's great. 
Yeah. So that's that's really our our ambition. I'd like to see this go from this kind of quasi organization that's run by two people into some foundation. And I'm working on things like that, like we discussed before the show. So yeah, I'm I'm excited for this to grow, but to maintain its its neutrality. I think that's really proven to be um, a key to its success. Well, it's an awesome resource, and uh, we're super happy that you got to take some time share with us today. And uh, and if you haven't checked it out, for all the listeners, go uh, go read State of the Edge. Um, Stateoftheedge.com. Stateoftheedge.com. Thanks so much, Matt. Appreciate it. You bet, Ian. Thank you. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.